When persecution comes, what will you do? Do you run away in perhaps your fantasy life? Escape your troubles? Do you reject what you believe because of persecution comes and you want to protect your reputation? Or perhaps you neglect other people because you think they are obstacles to your safety. Or when troubles come, who, who do we make sure we're, that's safe? Typically, it's our families. And in our passage today, when persecution comes, we are to care for our church families, particularly our local church family. Uh, and our passage today calls us to persevere together in the midst of persecution. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. If you're using the Black Pew Bible in front of you, it's found on page 1007. 1007. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the big numbers are the chapter numbers and the smaller numbers are the verse numbers. Uh, To give you, as you turn there, uh, to give you a brief background on the book of Hebrews, this epistle or letter, it, it takes not in the form of a traditional uh, epistle where there is a greeting, there's some content and some concluding remarks, but Hebrews is more of a sermonic letter. Uh, in many ways, it's, in, as Hebrews 13 verse 22 says, uh, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. Uh, you can think of Hebrews as a, a topical sermon, expositing multiple texts and making applications. And most likely, this letter was written to a Jewish Christian congregation. And we know this because the content uh, is steeped in in the Old Testament. Talks lots about the priesthood, uh, the old covenant made at Sinai, the tabernacle, uh, the rest in in Hebrews 4. Uh, But the most important subject for the author of Hebrews is Jesus Christ. It's the superiority of Jesus Christ over the angels, over Moses, over the priesthood, and over the covenant institution. And it's for the purpose of warning and encouraging these Christians to persevere. Uh, With that uh, brief explanation of the text, uh, hear now the word of the Lord. Follow along with me. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The main point of this passage and the main point of this sermon is because of Jesus, let us persevere in faith, hope, and love. Let me repeat that again. Because of Jesus, let us persevere in faith, hope, and love. And for each point, we're, we're going to look at the what, how, and why of each exhortation. Uh, so let's look at our first point. Because of Jesus, let us persevere in faith. Uh, Look with me at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. We're exhorted to draw near to God in faith. 
Uh, but notice the flow of the argument that he's making. The author of Hebrews, he helps us understand why we are to do this. And you see in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, since... And then again in verse 21, And since we have... Basically, the flow of the argument is because of these things, these truths, therefore, let us draw near. And the author is summing up everything that he's talked about in Hebrews 1-10 to here. Uh, he's summing up, remember Jesus and what he's accomplished. Remember who he is. Remember the gospel. And because of Jesus, draw near. And this is the gospel, that because of our sin, our rebellion against God, we are separated from God. We are seen as defiled and unclean before Him. We are enemies of God. And because of our sin, we have earned just condemnation and eternal punishment in hell. But what does God do in response to our sin? God does not respond and say, go wash yourself up and then come to me. God does not respond in saying, uh, search for enlightenment or peace within yourselves. Uh, no, but God sees the dirty. God sees the sin, sees the imperfect, and he draws near to us. In his great love and mercy, God comes in the flesh in Jesus Christ. Look with me uh, at verse 20 uh, in the, the end. That is through his flesh. This is talking about Jesus. Because of Jesus, he comes in the flesh. Truly God, truly man. And Hebrews is reminding us who this Jesus is in verse 21. He says, Since or because we have a great priest over the house of God. Basically, Jesus is our great priest or our mediator over the house of God, namely over his people. And what did priests do in the Old Testament? Uh, Well, in the Old Testament, these priests, they would function as mediators between the people of God and God. And, they, and these priests would sacrifice these rams and these sheep and these goats uh, to cleanse sin uh, for the people of God, to be right with God. And that's what verse 19 is referring to when uh, he says, and since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that holy places is the presence of God. And these priests would enter into the tabernacle, the, the holy presence of God, and would offer sacrifices so that the people of God would be cleansed. Uh, But throughout the Hebrews, uh, the author is so clear uh, that what was enacted in the Old Testament, those sacrifices, they never cleansed sin completely. They were just shadows of the future sacrifice to come. Uh, The shadows, they find their reality in the sacrifice of Jesus. And, And that's what the author refers to Uh, In verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. It's Christ's blood and his death on the cross in that perfect sacrifice that sin is dealt with. He makes atonement for our sin. And Hebrews picks up on this scene in Matthew 27, 51, where the curtain in the temple is torn in two. And this scene is basically showing and describing that Access to God has been granted in Jesus Christ. By the blood of Jesus, access to God has been granted. And this is the person and work of Jesus, that he has won all of these things, cleansing of sin, access to God, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so how do we respond to Jesus? 
Well, the text tells us we draw near. Friends, if you have not repented and believed, and you know yourself not to have done this, this today, repent and believe. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Draw near to God for the forgiveness of your sins, to restore you back into right relationship with Him. And if uh, you don't know this Jesus, uh, we encourage you to talk to myself, talk to the person who brought you here. Uh, We'd be more than happy to help you draw near to Him by exploring the claims of Jesus Christ, to explore the Jesus Jesus that we believe together. Uh, How do we persevere in faith? Or how do we draw near? Uh, Well, the text tells us three ways we do this. Uh, Follow along with me in verse 22. Uh, The exhortation is, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. That's number one. Number two, with with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And then number three, and with our bodies washed with pure waters. Now, basically, the author of Hebrews is saying, we draw near with boldness, with confidence, that we can draw near because of what Christ has done. Uh, This uh, drawing near, if you notice that, it is an exhortation that is not a one-time deal, but it's a continual drawing near to God. It's a continual communing with God. It's a lifelong journey of drawing near. Uh, so, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you are struggling to draw near to God, rest in the objective work of Christ. Uh, the author is reminding you, when you draw near, to remember all that He has given you already. Full assurance with a new heart. Reconciled you back to the Father. Purchased you by the blood of Jesus. Now some of you may not feel this subjectively or experientially, uh, but the text tells us we have this confidence. We have this boldness. Uh, Look again with me, verse 19. Since we have confidence to enter holy places. We have it. If you break down that word confidence, it's con, with, and fide, faith. We already have this confidence. We already have this faith that has been given to us. Uh, Once again, uh, in verse 22, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, we have been given this by God. And I wonder if uh, in verse 22, if you're reminded of Uh, what Jeremy said in the scripture reading of the new covenant promises. Uh, If you remember those promises in Ezekiel, uh, it's the same language of sprinkling clean. And in Ezekiel, there's this uh, exchanging of God is changing the heart of stone to a heart of flesh, a new heart. And the cleansing of sin, sprinkling of water. And it's this beautiful new covenant language that God has already promised and because of those promises that he has fulfilled, we can approach, draw near to God in boldness and confidence. He has given you this assurance. Uh, just to illustrate this point, uh, it's similar to if we wanted to uh, go to Apple HQ and we wanted to meet with the CEO, Tim Cook. And we would say, we want to meet with him. Well, why would we have any confidence that we would have access to him? Uh, He's the CEO of Apple Company. Yes, I am a big fan of Apple. I have all the Apple products. But I have no confidence um, because I have no credentials to meet with him. Uh, But God, who is infinitely more powerful, infinitely uh, more glorious, 
we have free access to him because of what Christ has done. Uh, And that should encourage all of us to draw near to him. Uh, And one of the ways we do this corporately is actually we draw near in prayer. Uh, To reiterate this, uh, Hebrews 4.16 says the same concept. Uh, It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help help in time of need. Uh, Drawing near to God for help, we do this through prayer. One of the means in which we do this uh, here at First Baptist is in our evening service. Uh, It's when we together come together again at 5.30 here at the main hall, Uh, And we draw near to God together in prayer, uh, corporately, uh, that we together are drawing near to God. And uh, I wonder if you've noticed in in today's service as well, if you want to look into the the front of your bulletin, the order of service, uh, if you follow along with me in the order of service, we have uh, two major prayers, um, at least in this season of our life, and I I know that the elders eventually probably would want to add more prayers, uh, but uh, as you can see, after the scripture reading, we have a prayer of confession. Uh, and I wonder if you noticed and you listened to Jeremy as he was praying. Uh, he did not pray, I pray, but we pray and we confess. Uh, it's this way that we corporately together are drawing near to God in confession, uh, in boldness. Um, so I hope you don't check out during those prayer times as, oh, that's just the service leader praying. Uh, But we are praying those same exact words uh, in our hearts. We're also praying that together when we are saying amen. Uh, And our second major prayer is our pastoral prayer. Uh, As David Ng has uh, so graciously led us in that, uh, again, he is not praying, uh, we the elders are praying, or we the pastors are praying. It's we, the church, together, we're praying unto God. We are are casting our anxieties upon Him, drawing near to Him. Uh, So I hope uh, as we draw near to God, we would have confidence uh, in faith uh, because of what Christ has done. Uh, not only do we persevere in faith by drawing near to God, uh, but because of Jesus, we also persevere in hope. Uh, because of Jesus, let us persevere in hope. This is our second point. Uh, look with me at our second exhortation. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. Our second command and our second call in response to Jesus is to hold fast to our hope, is to hold fast to our hope, namely Jesus Christ. And notice this confession, it's not in the sense of admitting our guilt. Uh, It's a confession uh, of declaration, of proclamation. Uh, In the same vein as when Apostle Paul in Romans 10, verse 9 says, uh, we confess that Jesus is Lord. We are declaring that Christ is Lord. So in other words, we are confessing our hope. We are staking our allegiance to our hope, namely Jesus Christ. And how are we to do this? Well, the text tells us again, how we do this, we hold fast. Uh, Not fast in the sense of quickness or with speed, Uh, But in the sense of tightly, securely, uh, we hold fast without wavering, as the text says. It's the language of when we say we fasten our seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy road. Uh, In the same way, we hold fast to Christ because this journey is bumpy. Uh, And why is the author of Hebrews exhorting this command? Uh, Well, there is much 
reasons to abandon our hope. In the original context of this letter, these Christians were being persecuted. Some of them jailed. Some of them losing their homes, losing their jobs. Committing to Jesus cost them their lives. And the author of Hebrews exhorts this congregation to hold fast in the midst of these trials. Uh, Now, in our current context in America, uh, we may not experience these same types of persecution. Uh, However, uh, we may be experiencing persecution in different ways. Uh, Perhaps uh, in our own families, that because we are committed to Jesus, our hope, those closest in our families are persecuting us. They are verbally attacking us. Perhaps uh, they are thinking that we Christians are hypocrites, that we Christians are brainwashed. Uh, perhaps your neighbors and your coworkers are uh, thinking that you are just closed-minded and mean-spirited. So they're persecuting you because of Jesus. Uh, perhaps you are abandoning uh, Jesus or you're perhaps tempted to lose hope because you look to the suffering in your own physical body. And I know some here in this congregation, we are losing vision in our eyes. We are tired. We are fatigued. Uh, perhaps our minds are cloudy because we can't think well. Perhaps you're hopeless in the midst of physical circumstances. Uh, perhaps you're looking at your own faith and you seem uh, discouraged. And some of you may be doubting, struggling with unbelief, feeling hopeless. Uh, perhaps uh, in your own hearts you are questioning, does God forgive all of my sin? Is there any hope for me? Now, if that describes any of you, this command should give you encouragement. Take heart. Those are legitimate reasons to be hopeless, but there are more reasons to be hopeful. Hope is something future that is secure, banking on something that will come for certainty. And our hope, it's banking on the one who promises. Not just the promise itself, but the faithfulness of God to fulfill those promises. Uh, Look with me at the end of verse 23. We hold fast, for he who promised is faithful. Why do we persevere in hope? What gives us the strength? It's the promises of God, not only the promises, but the faithfulness of God in fulfilling those promises. Uh, You can remember and recall that the Bible itself, uh, you could think of it as in the Old Testament, promises made. In the New Testament, promises kept. And very much uh, the Bible is God's vows to His people um, that He will keep all of His promises. Uh, Perhaps remembering uh, God's faithfulness in the major covenants of the Bible. Uh, his, his faithfulness in fulfilling all of the promises made to creation it, with Adam and Noah. Uh, made, uh, promises made to Abraham. Uh, the covenant made at Sinai. And most clearly, God is faithful in the new covenant, as Hebrews would say in chapters 8 through 10. Or perhaps remembering God's faithfulness in how He sustained His people, Israel, Uh, Recall in Exodus that God led Israel out of the land of Egypt. And what did he do? He provided manna. He provided water, sustenance. Or or God's faithfulness in how he sustained Apostle Paul from from shipwreck, from death. All by his faithfulness. 
Uh, you can remember God's faithfulness in particular promises. Uh, for example, uh, the pardon of assurance that uh, Jeremy read today uh, and from Romans 8, 1. You just meditate that on that. If you're feeling hopeless and doubting that God can forgive you completely, just remember Romans 8, 1, that there's no, now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Uh, perhaps you're looking at your physical bodies and you're losing hope. Look to Revelation 21, 4 that He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. For God will renew all things. Uh, perhaps you're fearful in the midst of persecution. Well, look to Psalm 118.6. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Uh, church, th- this is a way that we can hold fast to our confession of hope. We together do this by reminding each other of God's faithfulness to His promises. Uh, It's almost like the church is kind of like an echo chamber, just bouncing back and forth God's faithfulness. Uh, We're just exhorting each other to hold fast and to remember and recall God's faithfulness to His promises. Uh, Milton Vincent in a gospel primer, or gospel primer, uh, he says this about hope. And I hope you're encouraged by this quote. Hope of eternity with Christ in heaven also enables my heart to thrive during the most difficult and lengthy of trials here on earth. When looking at the sheer weight of unseen glories to come, my troubles seem light by comparison. And when looking at the staggering length of eternity, my troubles seem fleeting by comparison. It is only against the backdrop of a glorious eternity that my circumstance can be seen in such a manner. And the promise of this glorious eternity is part and parcel of the gospel itself. God's faithfulness to his promises strengthen us to hold fast to our hope together. Because of Jesus, we draw near in faith. Because of Jesus, we hold fast to our hope. And because of Jesus, we also are to persevere in love. This is our last point. Because of Jesus, let us persevere in love. What are we called to do? Verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I hope you caught that main exhortation is not the mere go love other people, but it's to consider. I just want to pause it. It's to consider. It's, to, it's a command to be thinking well, to ponder upon, to pay attention. Uh, It's an exhortation to be thoughtful. Thoughtful about how to stir one another up in love and good works. It's this stirring up, a provoking, a pushing, an encouraging one another to love and good works. It's to be thoughtful about this. Uh, Now, there's an assumption to this command, and the assumption is that there needs to be this knowing and being known by one another. There is this assumption that there is this knowing and being known by one another in the context of the local church. Uh, basically, the logic can be seen as this. How are you going to be thoughtful about how to stir one another up if you don't even know each other? So I'm not talking about the mirror that fact that if you're meeting up with somebody, I think that's a good start, that's great, Uh, but I mean a friend or brother, sister in Christ here in this local church 
that you're doing life together, uh, that you know each other and how your weeks are even before this gathering. And I'm not here to guilt trip any of you, but I encourage you guys to have that one, at a minimum, just that one person that you are, that you are known by and that you know so that you can be thoughtful about how to consider and how to think well about stirring each other up in love and good works. And that's the assumption, that we know each other well enough to be thoughtful about this. And this stirring up is a provoking, uh, not in a negative sense, not in an annoying type of provoking. Uh, It's not that annoying person that says, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? It's not that kind of provoking to anger. Uh, This provoking, this stirring up, um, it's not stirring up to trouble. Uh, But it's a stirring up, provoking, uh, in a positive sense, in in a way that encourage each other to love and good works. Uh, it, in many ways, it's this mutual encouragement. Uh, just uh, to give a shout out, like Team USA, the women's team that won today. Uh, it's this mutual team effort to win. Uh, it's a mutual encouragement to run faster, to kick harder, to play harder. It's a team effort. It's not about one star. Uh, it's, a, it's a team effort. And, and notice this command, it's not for uh, just one person in the church. It's not for the elders of the church. Uh, but did you notice that throughout this entire text, it's the we and the us, let us. And since we let us do these things, uh, it, it's a church-wide activity. Uh, all of us are need to be thoughtful. All of us are involved as a team to love and good work, to consider actually how to stir each other up. Uh, and to help us uh, think about these things, I want to give us some categories um, and ways that we can consider, uh, ways to be thoughtful. Um, I want to give us categories um, in how to love well and how to do good works better. Um, so first, uh, consider how Jesus loved. Consider how Jesus loved. Uh, Jesus Christ in the Gospels, he sought out the marginalized. He sought out the outsider, the strangers of the world. Uh, if you remember that Jesus went to the lepers, the ceremonially unclean, the outcasts of the world, and he came to them. Uh, remember how Jesus went, uh, when the, the, the teachers of the law were, um, you know, ridiculing Jesus uh, about the children, what did Jesus do? He said, no, let the children come to me. The lowly of people, the children. Remember how Jesus went to the women and how the women how he interacted with women was so radical and different. Jesus sought out people who were outcasts, who were different. And this ought to be a consideration for us in our stirring up of one another in love. We are to consider persons different from us. We are to consider persons different from us. Uh, And I want to give us some categories about how we are to think about people different from us. So uh, we are to love cross-culturally. We are to love cross-culturally. So let us think cross-culturally. So uh, if you look around, so go ahead and look around. Look to the person that you love. Look behind us. You probably will notice we are coming from different cultures. We're coming from different ethnic backgrounds. And actually, in order to know and be known by each other, we ought to step into somebody else's shoes to understand where they're coming from. And I think one of the ways that actually in the Bible, in Acts 6, we see uh, 
these Hebraic, uh, the Hebrew people and the Greek-speaking uh, widows, they were having issues, ethnic lines. And what did the church do? They, they didn't say, oh, let's make two different churches. They said, well, how do we pursue love one another? How do we pursue that in unity in diversity? And I think we can do that too here in this church, that we ought to think cross-culturally. Uh, secondly, uh, we are to love cross-generationally. We are to love and think cross-generationally. Uh, so consider people who are older than you, people who are younger than you. Uh, the challenges of a 70-year-old Chinese man who is a widow may look different from a 23-year-old fresh out of college. Um, and, and just recognizing that we are just coming from different age gaps I think this is a consideration that we ought to have in how we are to stir each other up to love. We're to think cross-generationally. Uh, just a personal example. Um, actually, I'll do that for the next one. Uh, second, uh, thirdly, uh, think cross-life stages. So how are we to love in cross-life stages? Uh, across life stages. Uh, consider the different areas of life we are currently in. Uh, there are singles in this church. There are families with children in this church. There are homeschool moms in this church. There are working moms in this church. There are husbands who work from home. There's unemployed people. There are, there are just all different walks of life, different life stages. Uh, and we are to think and consider how to love people uh, in different life stages. And uh, a personal example of mine, and I know uh, Vincent or Vincent Fu, Vinny, he is not here today, but... Um, for him, who is, you know, a family with one child, uh, working from home, uh, and he is much older than I am, and I won't mention his age, but for him to open up his house to invite a, a, young, a younger man, a younger single, and helping me think through uh, financial uh, decisions, thinking through spiritual decisions, thinking through of how do we love the church together, uh, partnering together to invite other people in the church into Vinny's home. Um, and actually, in the past five years, if you've noticed that uh, much of those uh, hangouts at Vinny's house were uh, from, from my invitations. Uh, in a way that we are just thinking uh, cross-life stages and partnering together and considering how we can do that together. And, and now I know it's easy and comfortable to be with people who are most similar to you. Um, it's easy to... Uh, connect with people who are kind of in your own space. Um, you you kind of understand each other. You um, there's already a basic ground, but the author of Hebrews he's encouraging us uh, to consider across culturally, cross generationally, cross life stages uh, to uphold unity in Jesus uh, as well as diversity in other areas of life. Uh, and this love, uh, it's hard. It's not easy. And I know some of us in this room may have been at this church for a while and still don't feel connected. And I know that for a fact, because I've talked with you about this, I've had one-on-one meetups with you about this, and I want to say that loving people is hard. Uh, it takes work. Uh, it's not easy, but, but the author of Hebrews is encouraging us to consider, to be thoughtful about how to love more how to love well. 
And I hope that we can persevere in love together as a church. Uh, Secondly, uh, consider the needs of others. Consider the needs of others. Uh, This is highlighting actually uh, the second part to consider the love and then secondly the good works. Consider the needs of others and how Jesus met the needs of others. Uh, If you remember and recall Jesus, he healed physical needs. He healed fevers, those who were sick. He healed lepers. Uh, He provided food for crowds. But he also healed spiritual needs. Uh, He saved sinners by dying on the cross. He forgave others. And Jesus was thinking about how to do good works to meet the needs of others. And so I hope we can consider not so much about our own needs, but the needs of others. Uh, Consider keeping your eyes and ears open to those around you, to those who might be hurting, uh, to those who might be lonely, to, to those who might need practical needs. Uh, I, I think a very practical way we can do this is as you are praying through your church directory, uh, if you're a member of this church, prayerfully think through uh, each person's needs. Um, what, what, what kind of ways do you think we can help this person uh, and, and do good works for them? Uh, and there, in, in a, you know, a church this size, you know, about 60, 70 members, there, there's going to be countless number of needs. Um, and this text tells us you are not alone in meeting those needs. Uh, in nursing school, they said, uh, and I'm a nurse, uh, and in nursing school, they told us that it takes a village uh, to raise a baby. It takes a village uh, to help patients. Uh, in the same way in the church, it takes a church to love others well, to meet the needs of others well. Uh, so I encourage you guys, um, as you're considering to meet the needs of others, uh, to consider uh, teaming up with other members of the church. Uh, you don't need to feel burdened that it's your sole responsibility. The text actually says it's the responsibility of us together as a church. The author of Hebrews uh, it envisions a church community uh, where its love is marked by thoughtfulness, Marked by deliberateness, marked by strategizing, uh, and marked by care uh, for as we gather together as a church to persevere in love. Uh, The second way we are to persevere in love is to gather together. Uh, Look with me uh, at verse 25, uh, the beginning. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Uh, In the original context of Hebrews, these Christians in the midst of persecution, uh, they were building a habit of not gathering with the church. Uh, Perhaps maybe out of fear. uh, Perhaps uh, fear of the authorities. Perhaps uh, fear of losing their life. But notice the author of Hebrews is pointing out not the fear. and He's not calling out the fear of authorities or fear of life. He's calling out that they are neglecting to gather together. So the sin issue is the actual not gathering together, not assembling, not coming together. Uh, well, what, what kind of meeting or gathering is this? Is, is it the Sunday morning? Is it small group? Is it one-on-one discipling? Uh, well, this, I believe this text, it's highlighting the main gathering, the, the weekly main assembly of God's people on the Lord's day. 
Now, if we allocate uh, all the texts in the New Testament, uh, we see in Apostle Paul uh, for, in 1 Corinthians 16 how uh, they met on the first day of every week. Now, the first day in, in that context was Sunday, the Lord's Day. Uh, so, in the Jewish context, the Sabbath was Saturday, uh, but when Jesus rose from the grave on the third day, on Sunday, Christians, churches, have gathered together on the Lord's Day. In the main assembly of God's people. Um, and uh, the assumption is that these local churches gather on the Lord's Day. Uh, the main assembly of the local church is the visible manifestation of the church is in the gathering. It's when the members gather together. Uh, it, it's like Avengers. When Captain America says, Avengers, assemble. Yes, Iron Man is Avenger. Yes, Captain America is Avenger. Yes, Thor is an Avenger. But it's when they come together, that's when they are the Avengers, when they assemble together. It's just like Voltron. The individual parts, they come together and they form one. And that's what happens when Christians come together and they gather together as one local church, as one local family. Uh, so in application, if you've noticed, the Christian life is one that is joined together, covenanted together with other Christians in a local church. Hear me, hear me when I say this. It's not the mere presence that you're here, but it's the, the coming together, covenanting together as one local church. Now, if you are a Christian and you profess yourself to be a Christian, I encourage you to join a local church. Be a member of a local church. And I say this, uh, perhaps it may not be this particular local church. Uh, we're not trying to build the, the, the kingdom of First Baptist Church of Hacienda Heights. It, we, we care that you, fellow Christian, that you are joining a local church that is preaching the gospel, where they're seeking to draw near to God, where they seek to hold fast to Christ, where they seek to do each other's spiritual good. Uh, we, we, we're just encouraging you to join a local church. It doesn't have to be us. It could be any local church that is affirming the gospel. Uh, it makes no sense to say that one is a sheep but not part of the flock. It makes no sense that one is a member of God's family but doesn't come to the family table or the family gathering. Uh, and another way of application for the members of First Baptist here, uh, prioritize the main gathering or the main assembly here. Uh, I believe the elders of the church, they say prioritize Sunday morning, 1A, Sunday evening service, 1B. Sunday morning, 1A, Sunday evening service, 1B. That's the main gathering of God's people. Uh, now this gathering here right now, Sunday morning, it's the context, it's the framework where we draw near together, where we hold fast to God together, where we persevere in faith, hope, and love. Now I recognize, and I just want to cast some vision for us, uh, some of us are perhaps in life changes. Uh, we're moving homes, we're changing jobs, uh, or you're like myself, we're moving locations. Uh, I hope that this passage corrects our vision uh, and how we are to think about the local church. The local church ought to be a, a big consideration of how we prioritize the, the, the relationships, the gathering of God's people in perhaps or a new job or a new uh, location. Uh, so if you're moving, uh, perhaps thinking about, is there a local church there that you can gather together? 
Uh, if you're uh, at it, possibly thinking about a new job, will this new job help me gather with the church more? Or will it hinder it? Uh, some of us, uh, they work uh, on the weekends, like myself. Uh, I'm a nurse, and so uh, I got to work my weekends. And personally, uh, I, I've had to had, ask the awkward question to my boss. And asked, and I, and I basically said, can I take Sundays off and just work sun- Saturdays? And for two and a half years, I have never worked a Sunday because I've just worked Saturdays. Uh, and, and, and yes, does that mean you know, I don't get to have as much fun on Saturdays? Yes and amen, yes. I have missed out on many times of having fun together. But uh, this text, it prioritizes the main gathering. So how do we think well about prioritizing the local church, the gathering of God's people? Uh, This is a vision of how we persevere in love by prioritizing the local church. Uh, How are we to persevere in love? How are we to do this? Well, if you look with me at verse 25, uh, towards the end, we do this all the more. Not less, but more. We keep increasing. We do this more. Why? How? Uh, It's as you see the day drawing near. This is very interesting. As the Lord is coming back, we are to do these things more. We are to gather with God's people more. We are to encourage each other more. We are to consider how to love more. Uh, It's almost as if uh, the author of Hebrews is just calling forth this uh, new heaven, the new uh, earth reality where all of God's people will gather together in the new heavens and the new earth. And we get to rehearse that here in the local church week in and week out. Uh, It's this kind of rehearsal that as we are singing God's praises together, as we are praying together, as we're loving one another, as we're hoping together, as we're drawing near together, we're just rehearsing those realities of what will happen in heaven, uh, that we will be doing those same things, uh, but we will be seeing Jesus face to face. And we are to increase our love and considering how to stir up one another in love, increase our gathering together, and increase our encouraging to one another. Church, the Christian life is not a private life, but a corporate one. It's one where we link arms together, where we draw near to God in faith. It's where we hold fast to our hope. It's where we consider how to stir each other in love. Because of Jesus, let us persevere in faith, hope, and love. With that, let me pray for us. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for you are the God of salvation. Jesus Christ is our mediator. We have access to you because of him and his blood on the cross. We praise you that you are faithful to all of your promises. They are yes in Jesus Christ. We confess that in the midst of sin, We run away from you. We confess how we are selfish, but we are not considerate of others. But we thank you that we can persevere in faith, hope, and love because it is you that preserves us. We pray that you would help us to do all that we've learned today, all the more, 
as we see the day approaching. Uh, We pray that you would help us to hold fast to you, hold tightly to you. Uh, We pray that you would help us to increase our love uh, for one another. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.